Hey guys, welcome back. BDC Care here. We're back with season nine, episode 48 of our weekly Q&A video slash podcast. You're watching it wherever you are, and there's a way to watch it on the other platform, and I will leave that as an exercise to you, the listener, to figure out how to get from one to the other right. if you're interested. And I'll give you a hint, which is just the answer. The information is in the description of the video <laughs> if you're on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and so... <laughs> To get started, do you want to go through sure. sort of the team that we're looking at? And then yeah. I want to talk a tiny bit about what I've been playing recently. Okay. Not not a recommendation, but just to talk about it. Oh, speaking of playing recently, you know, I was just going back over notes. We still Now that Adios is free, the copy that we're giving away is meaningless now, but we were giving away copy. Nobody claimed it. Yeah, very funny. But yeah, th this is a good point. We're going to get into it in a second. Right. Adios is free on the Epic Games Store right now, and right. it's a great game, and I super recommend it. Right. Um, so it. this is the Suicide Squad team. And the, tying it into, so we mentioned in the weekly recap last week that Enchantress Gear gives six skulls. Instead of the regular three, you get six when you have a full team, when you're using it on a full team of three Suicide Squad characters. And it's a nice follow up to the question that we had last week from Ryzan Vacha about the timing to get it right. So, in order to strip gears completely, the person who's got the skulls has two bars of power, also has a Claw of Horus does a special one mm -hmm. maybe shatters gear maybe doesn't the skulls come in and if you time the 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 special one the second special one right each of the skulls coming in gets the effect of the special so yeah. you have three more shots at triggering the gear shattering and so by timing it right you mean timing it so that the skulls come out during the special right right and it's not exactly during the special but there's a timing of it so that it's part of it like it's because there's a long t some specials have a long animation some have a yeah. shorter one so you just have to time it right and the reason why it's interesting is because sorry why it's so good on suicide squad team is because with six skulls you've got a bigger window it's basically mm -hmm. like you know how deadshot has that wide thing with the aiming yeah. mini game and so if if we talk enough and there's enough or maybe i'll just stick in the footage anyway so normally what i do is i put footage enough footage to match what we're talking about yeah. And right now what you're going to see is uh, a run of five ultimates with the Suicide Squad team. Mm -hmm. If we end up talking longer than that, I'll stick in some video that I've been playing with uh, just in the last couple of days with the Dawn of Justice team. Mm. And so the one thing I want to say about that is I was going to make a full Dawn of Justice team. But Dawn of Justice Wonder Woman is so much worse compared to New 52 Wonder Woman mm. that I just had to switch her out. She's New 52 is just that much better. But the timing of the gears is harder because you only get three skulls. But the perfect thing is, though, because I'm using it on Dawn of Justice Superman, if you get special one unblocked, mm -hmm. and it not what it, what it does is it knocks the opponent down and away. Mm. You wait until you take the step towards the opponent, and as soon as you've taken that step, then you do next special one. That's the perfect. Timing. So the timing is like telegraph you. There's like it's, a cue, right? So instead of just needing it to be in your head, right? So it's perfectly built in. Your problem will be if it they block it, you can still do it potentially, but. When you're waiting to do your second special one, yeah. if they do a combo on you and their combo takes too long, your timing is bad. Mm. If their combo is just right, which has nothing to do with you, then you can just drop uh, another special one that will strip all their gears. Yeah. But again, it's a little bit harder. It's only three skulls. If you don't time it right, you maybe you don't get all the skulls as a as a claw of horse gear shattering trigger. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it's harder with fewer skulls. Suicide Squad team, I, I hadn't realized this until playing with it more recently, just how good Enchantress was specifically on Suicide Squad. It's good in general because of what it can do, 
for mm-hmm. triggering all those effects, but it's so good on the Suicide Squad team. Nice. Yeah. And you're going to say something about what you're playing. Yeah. So the Dead Space remake just came out. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, don't have that much time for video games right now. And I'm not really mm-hmm. in the market for like a new brand new one. But I was like, oh, I have Dead Space 2 kicking around. Mm-hmm. And I had heard good stuff. And so I, I went in and I'm playing it. So I'm playing Dead Space 2. And it's interesting because I have I have sort of mixed feelings about it. It's fun enough for what it is. Okay. And like I said, I've had a hard time sort of playing single player video games recently. So that's kind of a point in its favor. Uh, but there's a really interesting sort of tension uh, between making because it's like a sort of survival horror game if you've never heard of it the sort of gimmick in dead space is that you're fighting these kind of they're part zombie part alien part whatever called the necromorph they're like uh, they're human necromorph dead change yeah they're they're dead people sort of turned into monsters um and they've got these like sharp sort of pokey hands and then they come in a bunch of different forms so it's, it's just kind of like body horror like the thing style like okay monsters right and their whole shtick is that you have you're you're like an engineer you're not like a fighter and you have this like laser cutter and you actually need to cut off their limbs to kill them uh and, oh not and, head yeah right well their their head counts as like one as sort one of limb? thing so yeah. it's like so it's like uh their extremities like, so five things you've got five options i guess yeah. in a man you'd have six <laughs> but oh. but no because you yeah. know what it make, reminds me of it's um is it is it my muay thai that's the eight deadly limbs or whatever i don't okay, know so, so i don't know if you're hearing this hold Our on a second is about to knock a bunch of yeah stuff he's got to get down off the bookshelf right, come on buddy yeah that's not what we're doing right now here we go okay so, so yeah um <laughs> But it's a, so it's a survival horror game, and so the higher difficulties make the enemies deal more damage and make ammo more scarce. Right. So you have to miss less shots. And then there's sort of the other way that you can kill things is by impaling them with stuff. So you can either take... So they get stuck? Um, you, do they, does it kill them? Like, it just does them? damage to them. Okay. Like the impalement system kind of is the exception to the rule, where if you just slam them with something a couple right, times, then right, they'll, right. they'll die. But you can like... On, on dead necromorphs, you can rip off the spikes on their limbs and throw it at them. And then you can take, like, anything, you know, that looks like a stick in the environment right, right. and slam it through them. Um, and so the, the problem I was running into is I was playing on the normal difficulty. And I was finding it really sort of, like, trivial. Like, I wasn't right. finding that much difficulty. I was picking up way too much ammo for what I needed. Right. Um, and so I was just walking around sort of as a little sort of walking militia, right? Okay. And then I turned up the difficulty, and all of a sudden I was having more trouble. I was actually dying sometimes. I was doing more ammo management. I found it a more satisfying experience on the balance in terms of difficulty. But then the problem is, what happens when you fail or do poorly? Mm -hmm. So when you die, there's like an animation of them like murdering you, right? And then you just go back to the checkpoint. And so dying functionally just means replaying an area again okay and you know where the jump scares are you know where the enemies are going to come out of whatever so it's it's kind of boring right Mm. and then if you're if you're taking a lot of damage but not dying you know sometimes that can be fun with a sort of like health management system where you have a limited number of healing items and they take up space in your inventory so you're working with that but if you if there's a fight that you're not doing so well on and you you're running really low on it and then there's like another couple fights before the next time where you're able to get more healing items Mm -hmm. then it just becomes kind of a slog and so the problem is that the 
ammo management and stuff, the the thrill of sort of being in a little bit more danger and needing to be a little bit more careful with your ammo and all that mm-hmm. stuff is a lot of fun. But then the actual fail state of dying uh, just makes it suck. It's just uh, not fun. It's not right, interesting. Right. So you, I want to be close to dying. I want to feel like I'm threatened. I want to right. feel like I need to react a little bit faster, you know, shoot like, a little bit better. Like bungee jumping? Yeah. Where there's the idea it feels like you're in danger? Yeah. Or I guess maybe, maybe I'm not really analyzing the risk right because do people die from bungee jumping? It feels like they shouldn't. I don't know. If you uh, bungee jumping appa- can apparently, like, mess you up, though. It can, like... Because of how, like, far you're jumping, it can, like, give you, like, temporary, like, blindness. It can, like, the, the G-forces and stuff can, like, oh. be a little... Because di- when you're at the bottom, right? Yeah. So it can it can cause, like, lasting, like, brain damage or, like, oh, so like vision sort of problems like, um, or something. And, like, I think it can, like, like reshape your cornea injury. and stuff. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So like, no, in a way no, that's unpleasant. I, I so that's lo- worse than skydiving, then? I think it is. Because there's not the same shift of, I guess, until you land. Well, I don't know about the parachute opens. deployment. Maybe with the parachute deployment, yeah. there's the same issue. But yeah, it's it's not smooth enough in its right. deceleration, because um, that's really the thing that hurts you, right? Wow. It's not the fall; it's the it's the sudden stop. Sudden stop at the end. So you need to make sure that the stop <laughs> is spread out enough that right. it doesn't do anything. Otherwise, you're and kind that, of and that your bungee cord is long enough. Yeah, <laughs> or but not too long. It's, you need the bungee not cord to be long, the right not, length. Yeah, long enough, but not too long. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, it's it's interesting and it's a tension. And so I'm on the harder difficulty. I think there's like two higher difficulties, and one of them you need to like beat the game the first time to even unlock or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, so I'm to on show like, that you're worthy of. I'm on like the second highest difficulty, and they say it's like oh, for people who are familiar with Dead Space, right? And you know, right. I'm familiar enough with like first person shooters that right. I can sorry, right. or third right. person shooters right. that I can play it. So it's it's interesting. And so I just there's a tension there, and I don't know what the solution is either because if they made it so that you couldn't die. Right? right, then that also wouldn't be sort of satisfying. There would be no stakes in an entirely different right. way. Right. But right. Uh, it's a it's a weird balancing act that I'm kind of trying to play myself with difficulty where it's like every time I die and I just have to play like the same three minute section over, I'm like, this isn't, you know, it's not, not, it's not a huge amount of time. You're not asking a lot of me. But as a consequence for dying, taking away the actual like horror element or like the thriller element right, of right. it you taking away the stakes taking away some of the interest in making like three minutes of like gameplay like would, boring that would, i have to just do a second time is like not compelling would it change it if you reframed it as so you failed this the first time now you get to do sort of a training run and you sort of know all because sometimes the games that to, that yeah. let you sort of practice the the control the interface right yeah so there's like a no stake kind of sort of task or practice yeah. or whatever does it change if you think about it like I, I that? don't think so because i mean like you think <clears> about <throat> games that make you die a lot and the one that i can think of that has the most compelling system is dark souls right where you die you drop your resources uh and you're gonna die a million times and they need to make that fun for you and so learning it and it's it's still not trivialized just because you've learned it and i think it's a that's a little bit true for dead space where you still need to like hit your shots and figure it right. out and whatever but there's not enough I think one of the other things that I, I'm running up against in the game is that there's not, it's not quite as fine-tuned and precise as I would want it to be for what it is mm. in terms of like shooting the limbs off. I'm sure if I watch somebody who was at like a really high level of play, um, you know, that would be really impressive. Right. But you know, you're cramped. The the third person angle is giving is just enough sort of camera wrangling and all. There's all these things that contribute to it just feeling ever so slightly more sort of floaty and less precise than it could right, be right. for what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I think everybody's really, really liking the remake. And so I, I 
think from the looks of it, the remake might do a slightly better job of just having that dialed in sort of mechanical controls. Right. Uh, but it's the, it, it, it's not bad. It's not bad by any means. I'm enjoying it. Right. Right. But it's just, there's that slight edge to it where, you know, like a game like Dark Souls can make dying a bunch really fun when I die in this. And I think the other thing is that it doesn't happen that often. And there's like a loading <laughs> screen every time there's more of a layer to it. There's a loading screen. And then maybe you get like popped back, like before, like an elevator ride. So you just have to mm-hmm. like, you, you're, you're waiting a minute or you're running back through and you're picking up the same items that you did the first time. Mm. And so there's too much kind of like busy work stuff related to it. Like and idle time and sitting. Um, and yeah. Yeah. So um, to, to sort of make it feel really good, if you just got to, I think what would be kind of cool is if you had like a limited resource of like rewinds or something like that, right? Where you could go back in time thirty seconds, and then like every time you right. like hit a checkpoint, you would get them back. Something like that, where you would actually be still like there's still attention for failure in terms of um, resource loss, and not just in terms of like your time and effort. Because there's also some cases where if I do a fight really badly and I like almost die, and I use like four healing items, I'm like. I kind of just want to restart this. Like, I don't right. even really want to finish this because, you know, that's just the huge, like, cost expenditure I've just done. And that's only happened to me, like, once, maybe twice. Right. And I'm, like, most of the way through the game at this point. But it's it's interesting. And I think, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the answer would be. But I, I feel like there's that tension between w- wanting there to be the threat of death, but not actually every time I die, I'm not like, oh, no, ah, I'm like, right. Not to have the consequences. You want to have that tension without actually having those kind of consequences. Or having the consequences be meaningful in a different way, right? Instead of kind of inconveniencing me, having them be like impactful somehow. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so there we go. We'll, we'll get into our first question now. That was a little longer than I was expecting yeah. to talk about it. But... Oh, and the good news is this first question is from one of our new patrons yeah. on Patreon. So this one comes from Corey Ashcraft, uh, and they say, You guys really are my sleep time podcast to listen to. I almost said sleepy time. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I made that like edit tea. in my own head. Like yeah. tea. Um, <laughs> you really are my sleep time podcast to listen to every time you upload content. Also, I just finished Adios and it was a magnificent game to play and I appreciate the recommendation. As I finished it and thought of the storyline more in depth, I realized the creative talent of people never ceased to amaze me. So with that being said, have you guys had any thoughts on story writing, whether it be for a game genre or a book that interests you? So, um... You want to go first? Yeah, for, first, definitely, Adios is great. Anybody listening, you can get it for free right now. Epic Games, I mentioned that at the start. That's really good. Second thing, to Corey Ashcraft specifically and anyone else who has played Adios, um, one of the creators, so the studio is Mischief who made it. Mm-hmm. One of the creators of Adios, and I think like the lead writer, is somebody named Doc Burford. Uh, and he has a series of articles on game design, narrative design, storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, his own opinions on video games that are... Uh, really compelling and I think really well written and he has a way of explaining his opinion really well so even if you don't agree with him uh, you can really walk through and understand what he's saying um, and get something out of it you know whether you agree with him or not I think they're valuable and interesting and good sort of pieces of writing so um, I would highly recommend if you like Adios you know it's obviously very different right but Tons of tons of more free content for you from the same mind, the right. same guy, and he might give you some other, you know, cool recommendations right. and stuff too. Right. So that's that's a general thing. And then thoughts on story writing. Do you wanna I 
So this is yeah. interesting. So I, I'm I'm much older than you are. Yeah. And when I was younger, I used to have you know delusions that I might have something interesting to say, <laughs> and that I would be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And I've had such an opportunity and privilege to meet so many different writers. And I don't mean meeting like going to signing and saying, oh, I love your stuff, signing, taking a picture, and then that's it. Although that's happened a lot too. Mm-hmm. Having gone to some conventions, I've had a chance to get to know some writers a bit more. Yeah, we've we've both been to a fair so, number of literary conventions and we probably right. have interacted with more full-time writers right. um, than right. the average person by a pretty solid margin. So, and I, when I say that, I mean, I mean, we're not like besties or anything, but that yeah. we, you might, we might go out to dinner with them or sit and have like a conversation with them. Or, or even just have heard them on like panels, talk about their craft That's and their work. That's true too. Right. We yeah. spent more time around and hearing from creative people who spend their, their full-time right. like work hours doing writing. So, yeah, person. so I, I've lost that delusion that there's anything that I could say in a way that would be meaningful without having to do a huge amount of work. Because when you hear what they talk about and how thoughtful they are yeah. in crafting their stories, I think, I don't have that capacity. I'd have mm-hmm. to wait until I stop doing all this other stuff to be able to even have the possibility of starting doing something. Mm-hmm. And that even then, I, I think I would have some trouble being successful. Because most – here's the thing with writing, right? This, yeah. the There's lots of really good writers – the problem is reaching your audience, and the great majority of writers aren't able to make a living at it. And I'm not saying that it's the most important thing is to be able to make money, but I think the most important thing is to be able to do it in a way that carves out the time that allows you not to have to spend a bunch of time making yeah. money to survive. Yeah. Because otherwise, you are just going to be starving. Like mm-hmm. there, there's that cliche of the starving artist, while it might seem romantic. Starving ain't so great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I like the idea of um, when we talk about being a writer, there's that difference between writing a story or having written a story and then getting to do, like, to have all the trappings yeah. of, you know, promoting your book and uh, doing interviews and, and you know, being on bestsellers list. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. Like that, that idea all the, like the, the Yeah. Because the, when you... Th- think about it there's like the the doing it there's the accolades but then there's also like the administrative work yes right yes and all of that if you're you know a writer you're kind of your Mm -hmm. own business yes and you need enough money to have somebody to do the business part of it for you right Right. you need like an agent and a team uh if you want to not have to do that administrative stuff yeah and and i used to think that part of the appeal was making something out of nothing right Mm -hmm. so other jobs you there's a framework where you do stuff and you have to do a bunch of work and it seems much more attractive to be able to just say, okay, I'm going to make something yeah. just out of my head. Yeah. I just have to put it down on paper, but it's all coming out of my head. And there was something that just seemed so much more freeing until you realize that you are more, very likely going to need to have a day job to support yourself yeah. um, because that kind of, imagination or imagine whatever that that kind of work where you just let your imagination run free mm-hmm. doesn't pay very well yeah and, and i so for, for my answer is that you sounded like you're wrapping up i don't know if i'm um, jumping in or stealing well, your so thunder maybe, maybe just i guess the one last point that's sort of related is that yeah. it feels like when i was younger that stories weren't as sophisticated <laughs> so now when i read a story and i don't know whether it's because the internet has easier 
to develop expertise or learn about stuff. Yeah. But th- there were kind of, you know, when there's something in a, sh- a, a show or a store yeah. or movie or whatever that touches on a particular area of expertise. Yeah. If you don't know about it, then where it rings false, where it seems untrue, doesn't bother you as much. Yeah. But then now that we've got so much information, we see so much about, like, you know, you have access to experts, you read about things, you learn mm-hmm. about things so much easier that there's, it's more likely that you're going to, you're going to have to do the kind of in-depth research to mm-hmm. make sure that the false details of something yeah. don't pull the reader out of the story. It's so much more work. you're saying people people are more well-informed now or it's easier to be well-informed about something if something feels wrong instead of just going huh well i don't know anything about this they can just google and say they are wrong yeah i got them yeah yeah sorry go ahead i I rambled on yeah no no worries so i i feel like everybody has a differing level of sort of like intrinsic desire to like make something and put it out in the world and so i think what Corey is talking about here you know, game designer, or sorry, a game genre, book that interests you, story writing, right? That's like fiction. Right. Um, and so I think that I have kind of like a medium amount of intrinsic desire to just like make a thing, um, where sometimes I'll like have an idea for like a mm-hmm. video or something mm-hmm. like that, kick around in my head and be like, that would be cool. Um, and so I think that's more than some people, but I think it's much less than most people who are actually professional creatives. Right. Because I think when you look at a lot of people who are sort of professionally creative and when you look at you know people who i've heard talk about stuff either like the big success stories or you know sort of the like artist middle class of people who can do it full time right but aren't like you know selling out you know signing events stadiums whatever who aren't right. like you know new york times bestseller top chart people is that a lot of people you need a really strong desire to make something despite the fact that you're not the your return on investment is yeah. not good. Is very and, likely to be bad. And you yeah. you have to basically just want to do it bad enough that you're fine if it never turns a profit. Right. And so, you know, I think about like Bug Hunter. So he's somebody that I talk to on a semi-regular basis now. Right. I started out as the just musician. a fan of his music. Right. Yeah. Right. He's done a Kickstarter just now that reached its goal in less than 24 hours for his new album. Right. It's really cool. And so he's, you know, growing this really sort of solid audience he's got people who really love his stuff who follow along who will you know right. back him on kickstarter listen to the new album the day it comes out all right. that stuff right. you know right. um but he had a while where it was a full-time job and he was just spending all of his free time doing this and it was just something that he loved right. and i don't so we say have... he had a full-time job like on top of it so he had yeah. a full-time job that was not music and then any kind of sort of squeezing music wherever he could yeah 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 okay and that was like the thing that sort of was restorative and so I, you know, do this with you. This is our free time. Sure. Right? And this is kind of in the mildest possible version, like a creative <laughs> act. We are making something and putting it out. We are right. making a piece of content. And I find this really sort of enjoyable. But I, the friction uh, that would be required to make me not find this enjoyable is so much lower than any sort of professional creative I've ever heard from talk about it. Right. Right? The, right. the amount of annoying this would have to be for me to not want to do it anymore is so much lower than the threshold that I would need to ever turn, you know, being sort of personally creative into like right. a full-time job. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of stuff that appeals to me a little bit. I'm like, oh, it would be kind of interesting, I think, to, you know, 
tell a story, whether that would be like in songwriting, but I'm not that good of a singer. I don't right. play any instruments or, you know, like a video essay, but it's a lot of editing and, it you is. know, you have to get the footage and then you have to write the script and whatever. And so there's all these things that I'd be like, that would be cool if I could do it. And then I don't have enough of an internal drive to actually go and do the right. thing. Right. And for some of the things, right, like I talk about video essays or like writing a song, I could just do that tomorrow, right? Like I don't need to have right. that be part of something. And, and for both of those, those are even like a much lower threshold than like writing a book. I could also like write right. a book or a story tomorrow right. and it wouldn't need to be picked up for anything you know it, like writing for like a video game you actually need to get hired and have like a pitch and a portfolio and right. everything right but there's a lot of stuff that i could do that somewhere in the back of my head i kind of want to do that i just don't um you don't you want know, it enough. right now i don't want it enough yeah yeah and so i think you know that's a pretty big realization right like it, it's not just with making a, a big such a huge decision about what you're gonna do with your life whether you're gonna be a creative or not i think it comes up to a lot of things like whether it's behaviors like minor behaviors or things that you should be doing yeah and when i talk to people and i said and they say well you know i couldn't find time i said so you're not prioritizing i said no but it is important and i think that coming to the realization that there are priorities in your life that you maybe don't rank as high even yeah. though they might be objectively important mm -hmm. recognizing that yourself is a huge step in being able to potentially make the changes or if not make the changes be more at peace with things mm -hmm. so that you don't keep on sort of kicking yourself yeah for not doing these things that you think you should mm -hmm. because you just don't really want to enough not that you don't want to just don't yeah. want to enough so i think that there's a decent chance that i will do some hobbyist sort of creative stuff throughout my life at some point mm -hmm. right to mm -hmm. you know a little bit here and there but you know at the end of a long day i would much rather like watch a show than like write like a screenplay for one right right like right. and so at the end of the day like i i'd, I'd rather consume media than create it um when I this channel notwithstanding in sort of my free time yeah but like this is sort of easy that's it's what low, I'm saying low demand this is just me this is just us talking right right, right there's right. not uh, there's not that much prep work time right it's pulling questions and then thinking right. about them maybe a little bit and you know I'm the kind of person I have a hard time like turning my brain off when I'm like watching stuff or playing stuff mm. I sort of I'm interested in a media analysis although I'm sure I'm not very good at it right mm -hmm. um so this kind of thinking and talking and just sharing my opinions off the top of my head is very easy for me. Sure. And a lot of the stuff that I would be like, oh, it'd be cool. I really want to do that, uh, that I feel like would be, you know, a little more intrinsically satisfying because this is fun. But after this, I'm not like, oh, man, we made a really cool thing today. Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, sometimes I'm like, that was a nice conversation. You know, I yes. hope people will enjoy listening to it. But it's different. It's very different from, you know, like crafting a piece of fiction or sure. like a piece it doesn't really feel like i'm making media it feels like i'm having a more or less interesting conversation and that we're sharing um, it with other people yeah uh not that we're making something specifically with a goal to share it with other people yeah. yeah so so that's that's how i feel about it is you know maybe one day there will be a little stuff here and there but i sincerely and seriously doubt that i'm ever gonna you know do something that's big or professional or really yeah. uh that's gonna get seen in any sort of wider sense or, you know, appreciated by some, right. you know, public. <laughs> right, right. Other than this. With, Other with than this. With a small audience, you know, being what it is. With a small, intimate audience. Yeah. I'm, yeah. And I'm very happy for this. I think this is also more than a lot of people get to do in oh, terms of sort 100%. of 
um, making stuff and showing it to people. And so I'm really grateful for that. And I think that also gives me sort of a new perspective, which is like, this is cool, but also it's easy. And if it was harder, I wouldn't do it. And this is like, I've, I've already reached sort of, uh, I, I've yeah. already gotten a little lucky with this, right? Yeah. This has been like the the audience that we built, we built relatively easy. And the sort of attention that we got uh, was very forgiving of us when our stuff wasn't as good. And it gave us space right. to get better right. and learn and keep going. And so for all of this, it going about as well as it could have gone for, I think, what we put into yeah. it. Yeah. I think we got a lot more out of it than most people who put more into it. See, this, this is a good point because you, as you're talking about that, it makes me think about that the word you you chose perspective and we're never going to be the big shots yeah but the fact that we are involved in the space gives us this really interesting perspective where a lot of it you recognize the threshold for what a lot of people term and i'm doing air quotes right now of success yeah is pretty low um a big part of it is like but then there's a lot of things like that like i remember i don't know if you remember when we had this conversation about university mm-hmm. to start with and I've always been pretty sure of the idea that um, you don't need a lot of intelligence. You don't need a lot of smarts to get a degree. Yeah. The threshold for how smart you are, and if we define smart as being able to learn stuff and then demonstrate it in a way that will let you pass, yeah, is pretty low. A lot of it is really just putting in the time and having the opportunity it's like access to resources, right? Yes. You cannot, your, your resource can be that you have a huge amount of energy and a huge amount of internal drive. Your yeah. resource can be that you are really good at making connections and you make right. connections fast and easily. Right. Your resource can be that you have enough money that instead of, you know, taking like a accelerated course load right. or needing to work right. hard and do so well that you get a scholarship or whatever. You and can not take having one... to have a part-time job that takes away yeah. some of those resources, like your time. Yeah, you can take as few courses a year as you want, right. be right. there as long as you want and just right. get through the... It can be the money for a tutor. It can be sort of right. the uh, social capital. It can be, you know, the social battery right. to make friends who will give you the notes yeah. or all this stuff. There's there And there's a combination of resources that you need. But I think... You know, not that everybody should, and not to say that everybody, you know, literally can um, or needs to do university, but I think the vast, vast majority of people can do it with the right combination of resources, whatever that is right. for the person. And maybe right. that's, you know, um, accommodations too, right? A resource can be accommodations. Right. Uh, and it's, you know, luckily there's accommodations in place yeah. for a lot of people who need it, although I think in a lot of places they're not as good as they yeah. could be or should be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And I think, so the reason why it was so important to me to make sure you understood that was because I think people lose sight of the fact that because, and it's not even necessarily a fault, but people lose sight of the fact that university is really meant to teach you things. At the end of it, you're supposed to have some sort of knowledge or ability to acquire knowledge, like the practice to learn things. Yeah. And the problem is that the value of a university degree has changed so much in the last i'd say 40 years Mm -hmm. so that because it's required as Mm -hmm. sort of the entry level jobs or whatever you're looking for so they they require a degree even when it's not necessary Mm -hmm. that it's the value of the knowledge is devalued because it matters more just to have the piece of paper yeah it's like in making your sales pitch of yourself better right 
And what it should be, what should bring you value is the understanding where the people, it's become less about the, the education than it is about the piece of paper Yeah, as a qualification, as a, a surrogate uh, representation of, oh, this person is able to do jobs. So, and it's a problem on all sides where employers, because they're requiring it, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways are, I don't want to say devaluing that. There's a way, I'm trying to think of a way to express myself like about this, but that because they're requiring of so many people, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of people who are getting who don't need it, and a lot of people who are getting a job who, or who are not getting a job who would otherwise be good yeah. because they're putting this sort of artificial barrier to it. It, the degree doesn't necessarily tell you how well you're going to do at a, at a job. Yeah. It, all it tells you is that you had the time, you had the money, you you basically you put in the time mm-hmm. and spent your resources on it. So I think there's a real problem because I think that other ways of learning can be just or more valuable. And university isn't for everyone, but the way, I guess... I, I don't want to say society. Society seems like such a cliche. Yeah. But the way society has started requiring it of people puts... The push, way that our systems yes. maybe feels so, a little yeah, yeah. less. Yeah. So it pushes a lot of people into university that maybe don't benefit from the same way. And what it does is it just sucks a lot of money and time out of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Because if I think about, you know, my university career, there's been places where I've learned stuff and picked up stuff. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't every course. There's right. a lot of stuff that I did that I kind of just did because I was there and because I had right. to. Right. And that was like the prerequisite step. This was like a stepping stone right. for like getting my degree so I could stop doing university. Right. Right. Um, and then the places that I learned stuff was kind of scattershot and it was not really built in to the whole process of going to university. Yeah, it wasn't required. I could have you could gotten have done it so much less right. out of it right. uh, very easily. It was no issue. And the places that I learned things were kind of... It was luck. It wasn't integral to the experience. And they they weren't... I, I, would, I don't want to say unexpected, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you where Before. the learning was going to happen. I wouldn't right. be able to tell you which courses it was in or which you know Until it places happened. it would be. Right. And a lot of it was, I think, because of like individual professors sure. who had a sort of noble goals and it was interesting i you know during office hours if we're okay continuing to go down this tangent um there was a professor that i talked to and i think i might have talked about this like years ago when it actually happened like two years ago at least at this point um Mm. but who has had really i think noble goals overall uh you know for a lot of their stuff they would give projects where the point was genuinely to learn and they were you know i was in a psychology program and so educational psychology is sort of the best source of information we have as far as i'm aware for like what works for teaching people and what's like important for Mm -hmm. people to know and how to best get them that information and so they were building this sort of course out uh with the really noble goal of using what we know about how people learn and what learning is uh to help people learn and think critically and sort of be academics right mm-hmm. in sort of a pure sense instead of just taking sort of the, the the raw information instead of regurgitating textbook information uh how to teach people to like quote unquote like be like better critical thinkers be smarter right, right? and so it's interesting because um I, I talked with the professor a little bit about it and i think the thing is is that i had a different perspective as a student where all these noble goals are fine but it felt very sort of like sterile 
and it felt like it wasn't really acknowledging any path for students other than just being academics mm-hmm. and just wanting to learn and it was like well you should be focusing on the learning not on the grade and the problem is, is that it's really easy to say that and sure. i think it's like a noble thing to want to you know make it about the learning and not make it about the school but it's all incentivized wrong but he yeah he got a little bit i think lost in the actual process of building it out yeah. because you know there's a lot of people like you said you know our systems make us get degrees because it increases our sort of value in the labor market because it makes it easier for us to get a job later right and so there's a lot of people there who are never going to use the information you're trying to teach them again right who aren't going to be researchers who aren't going to be you know reading a bunch of like scientific papers later in life or just doing this for the piece of paper and to leave and when you are sort of force-fitting um success to only be sort of pursuing uh the the pure pursuit of knowledge and academics and critical thinking right uh you are sort of coming at this and the way that he was talking about it with the class was is like i'm doing you this favor right this is how you this is what you want this is what you need this is what's best for you and i just i don't think that's true it's a little naive right yeah so you know if i'm a student Mm -hmm. and i said this to him i said some variation of this i'm like so if i'm a student right Mm-hmm. if I'm going to become a researcher, maybe this is the best class I've ever taken, right? And mm-hmm. you are great, and this is exactly what I need. But if I'm just trying to get my degree and go, uh, you know, maybe what's best for me isn't actually spending longer in this course or doing things this one particular way. Maybe the thing mm-hmm. that's best for me is to hang out with friends and form like long-term social bonds here, right? The Mm -hmm. thing that I'm going to take away from this is a piece of paper and some lifetime friendships and not a piece of paper and the ability to research really well, right? right? So people with different goals uh, fundamentally don't need the things that you're giving them. And so, and there is this reward structure, whether or not you like it, right? Yeah. Of the better grades matter more. Like I'm trying to go to this post-secondary, like post-post-secondary thing. I'm trying to do mm. this thing afterwards and I need right. this grade for it, right? Right. Uh, if I didn't need this grade, I would not be here. You know, if I didn't need, uh, I wouldn't be trying as hard. I wouldn't be working as long. If I didn't right. potentially need a letter of recommendation, I might not be in these office hours right now. You said right? that? I said that to him. Nice. I said, it's, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm like, I think this is a good conversation. I think this is valuable. I think that, you know, for the path that I'm on, right. I'm glad that you're my professor. Right. But if I was a different guy, it might not make sense for me to be in these office hours here with you right now. It might not make sense for me to be, you know, right. studying more for me to be doing better. And I think it, you know, you have to understand that just because somebody has a different goal, right? It, they, they they might be making what feels like the worst choice to you as like the educator. Yeah. But I think a lot of times we don't give people credit for making the decisions that are right for them right uh even if it's short-sighted maybe people are missing information right um and the information that they're missing might be that like maybe i do want to like do a master's a phd after right and if i don't realize that right now i'm not going to work towards that but a lot of times you know other than sort of the the being lazy the pursuing sort of short-term whatever feeling is a little bit nicer some people do that, and I think, you know, they're not setting themselves up as much for long-term success. But I think we we judge people a lot for do. not doing sort of, quote-unquote, the right thing. Right. And I think most times people have more information about what the right thing for themselves right. are. And and we might make different – even if we had all that information, we might make different decisions too. Yeah. But it, I don't know why it just made me think of – it just popped into my head. I, I, I had to get over that maybe mm-hmm. – 
I don't know, decades ago when yeah. I first started working out, I felt the same way about people who were bodybuilding. Yeah. Like that it was doing the wrong thing. Well, like, so to me, exercise was always about, um, being able to do mm-hmm. stuff like to maintain ability, to build up as much ability as possible. So being mm-hmm. strong, having endurance, not about necessarily making yourself look better. Well, that, that could be a sort of a beneficial side effect. Mm-hmm. And that there were people who were training literally only for looks and, I felt like they were missing out on so much, but you know what? There's people who just don't do any of that at all. Yeah. There's so there's still value in it and it matters to them and stuff. This is the one thing that's always interesting to me. And it, again, I feel like I, it's taken me so long to get to this point mm-hmm. is that there are different people will value different things. Mm-hmm. And if you, if I couldn't understand that, mm-hmm. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. That the figuring that out and recognizing at a gut level mm-hmm. made it so much easier to be empathetic towards yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Like not just recognizing intellectually, but really feeling like, oh yeah, they care about one thing. I care about something else. We all, we can care about different things yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. Because I, I think that also, if you have that, realization it helps you when you're supporting and helping other people yeah because i think that's the, the thing that the professor was doing right is that they were saying i know what's best so i'm going to give everybody the best experience no matter how they feel about it right right, right. and they don't know what they want yeah <laughs> I'm giving what they they don't, want. you might hate this now but i promise you it's better for you and i think that that just wasn't true and so i think when you're like helping people and supporting other people you're yeah. not trying to force them to do things your way or the way that you believe is best when you're supporting people i think really what you should be doing is giving them the information and resources to understand why you think one thing is better yeah and you know maybe the resources might help them if they know what's best already but they aren't able to do it for one way or another maybe what they need is your emotional support maybe they need you know something taken off their plate whatever you're giving them the resources to and the information to yeah. make the best decision for themselves. If you think you have information they don't have, right. right? Right. Helping them with that. So, you know, if he's a prof and somebody comes to him and they say, I don't want to do these successes, well, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And then helps them figure out. And then they go, Oh, I actually do need this. And right. now, you know, this is valuable to me and I do want to like do a master. Right. So I'm going to like work hard now. Right. And then all of a sudden, if you've given somebody sort of the new information, if you, if you're able to convince them, right. Uh, I think that can be, this is totally a discussion of Prochaska's stages of change. Have you, did you guys study that? Did you ever study no. in school? So it's the idea. I don't even know all the, the, the different levels, but that it, it's talking about behavioral changes. Mm-hmm. And so the, for example, you use it for addiction. So if somebody wants mm-hmm. to quit smoking, so he yeah. wants to quit alcohol. And the most interesting part to me that was not intuitively obvious. Well, it became intuitively obvious the more I got exposed to the Prochaska stages of change. Yeah. But that there's two levels before you actually make a change. Mm-hmm. They're the pre-contemplative and contemplative. And that each level of change has a different requirement to mm-hmm. get to the next level. Mm. So if you start off with somebody who's pre-contemplative, so they're not even thinking about making the change. Yeah. If you just give them tools to make the change... You're they're wasting not gonna use time. Them. Yeah. Right. And if they're thinking about it, then that's when you give them ideas about what to do. Mm. Right? So if you but the, the key to shifting them from contemplative or pre-contemplative to contemplative is what you just said. It's convincing them mm-hmm. that there's value. 
And maybe they don't, they're never going to be convinced. Yeah. But if you don't get past that level where they actually believe what you're offering them has value. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. And so this model was a framework for helping people along to make behavioral changes mm-hmm. in a way that was more effective. Yeah. And probably less frustrating because, you know, you can tell people, all right, so this is what you can do. You can start exercising like this many hours, this, mm. do this, do this, do this. And it wasn't happening is because you hadn't convinced them that there was on the balance for what potential health benefits mm-hmm. and what it would cost them yeah. in terms of, let's say somebody smoking in their ability to socialize with people, yeah. to hang out at a bar to, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Then yeah. it wouldn't happen. That's you know we're talking a little bit about of like addiction and stuff, right? Yes. And that was that was an interesting sort of reframing for me too. Is there's this idea that I think is pervasive with a lot of people, where like you know uh, people will say like oh don't like give money to like a homeless person because they might use for drugs, right? And so that sort of framework shift of going and thinking about like a person understanding what they want and they need in a moment uh, better than you is the idea that you know if somebody is an addict. Uh, you know, first of all, addiction doesn't correlate with like, um, intelligence, right? So like you, somebody can know that doing drugs is bad and have the exact same knowledge as you, somebody who's, you know, doesn't do drugs at all, who isn't addicted at all. And that knowledge, you know, that doing drugs is bad doesn't help somebody not do drugs. Right. Right. And then also, you know, when I think they have the best experience of knowing how bad drugs are for them. Yeah. And when somebody is addicted, you have these physical symptoms of withdrawal. So the idea is that, you know, if somebody is unhoused, if somebody doesn't have money and you give them money and they use it to buy drugs, right? What has happened there? Well, they might be trying to stave off the acute, you know, physical symptoms of withdrawal. Right. They know that, you know, they don't have money. They know that they have right. a tenuous connection to food, limited access to resources that, you know, just because they have this money now doesn't mean they're going to have money later. Right. And they are doing the math in their head, right? They're figuring out what's best for them. Right. And I, as an external observer, might think, oh, this is terrible. I'm, it sucks that they have to do this. And right. I'm sure they know too, right? right. They know that, you know, I think they would much rather have the opportunity to have an apartment, like the place to stay, but that the cost of it is prohibitive. Yeah. Like that, the, the difference between the comfort of doing something that sort of helps them survive this moment now yeah. isn't going to be enough for the long-term stuff. It makes, it's impossible to plan long-term. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what? It's like, it's like those, that experiment with those kids where they- The marshmallow test? Yes. Yeah. Like what they, they were interpreting wrong the whole time yeah. because they couldn't put themselves in the place- of somebody who had learned mm-hmm. a real lesson mm-hmm. that, hey, if you don't take it now, it will disappear. Yeah, it won't be there at all for you later. Right. Yeah. So if, if you give money to somebody who's yeah. homeless yeah. and they use it to buy drugs, they're making the decision that makes sense to them right now. Yeah. And you just, I just don't have the information to be able to evaluate that choice. Like how bad are their, their withdrawal symptoms? Yeah. How, how bad are their cravings or withdrawal system, symptoms, whatever. They know themselves better than I am. And they're making the decision that makes sense for them, even if as an external observer, it doesn't make sense to me. So if somebody is doing that, it's because they need that more than the food they could have bought with it. Right. 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 In that moment, they need that. Right. And you know, it, you look at like the programs at work and the things that help people not do drugs is not, not giving them access to drugs is giving them the resources to make the choice that they already know that they need to make. Right. And you sort of like withholding money from them or whatever else doesn't help them. Right. Right. 
Um, I mean, and it's totally fair too that if that's not what you want, then don't give the money. Like, yeah. just recognize that if you are going to do it, like the, that, it's not a. You're not buying something specific. Yeah, that you don't get to make, and you also don't get to make a moral judgment on somebody, yeah. uh, and what they do with it. And I mean, you can, but I, I think you it's shouldn't. a bit of a, it's a bit of a dick move. Yeah, and so, <laughs> you know, this is I'm going to tie it in. This is a little bit of a it's a like a half non sequitur, half sequitur. Uh, so we talked about <laughs> half sequitur, non sequitur. Okay. So we talked about storytelling, right? Yes. We talked about um, writing. And when you talked about it, you specifically used the term delusions a couple times. Yeah. So I want to talk about um, Mount Joy, uh, a song by the band Mount Joy called Astrovan. Because this is about addiction and it's about storytelling and it's about writing. And so this okay. is what I want to bring all together. There's a line in that. Um, and it's it's about doing drugs and living free and so the sort of uh refrain in the chorus is jesus drives an astro van and so it's about people sort of doing drugs and it's about uh it, it's a really interesting song it's really well written um and what there's a line in it that i really like which is every addict has illusions and i think it's a, such a small sort of difference but the connotation between delusion and illusion and the way that they're talking about um, addiction and substance use. Uh, mm -hmm. Illusion feels so much more warm and humanizing and sort of kind to the perspective of the addict uh, right. instead of calling them delusional, right? Oh, I don't know that necessarily delusions are associated with addicts. To me, the, it's there's almost like a, a clinical quality to the term delusion where yeah. it's specifically a false belief. Mm -hmm. And an illusion is where you see something and you're seeing it differently than what it is. Mm -hmm. So delusion has more to do with belief. Illusion has to do with more perception. Yeah, but then there's also there's also the really the sort of negative connotation of d delusion, right? So I oh I yeah was, I, guess I was so. just, yeah, yeah I was just saying that you know in a way of an interesting way of bringing it around to storytelling and subtlety and sort of talent and creativity mm -hmm. and addiction and substance right. use right. that line specifically. It's a very small change. It's something that I would have had a really you know, I never would have come to by myself, but that little swap can make mm. such a difference in sort of the the humanity that you're giving to the people that you're talking right, about. Right. So that's that's a really sort of effective piece of media and a very effective turn of phrase in a piece right. of media. So I think that brings together a lot of the stuff that we were talking about today right. in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. There we go. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> A good episode of content. I think this One was a question, yeah. pretty interesting conversation today. Wide ranging, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. To finish up, I, I think we're we're done here. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Elisa. Download Adios for free on the Epic Game Store. Katen. I have hijacked her name, and I'm using it to promote a game I like yeah. that you can access <laughs> and try for free right now on the Epic Game Store. One more yeah. time. That's the game Adios. A D I O S. Yeah. Uh, try it. Play it. It's really good. Uh, and we'd also like to give a huge thank you to all the lovely folks who support us on Patreon. And that would be Corey Ashcroft or Ashcraft. Sorry, I, I keep on wanting to say because the, the, the only interaction I've had, I've seen that name before, like Richard Ashcroft, I think, is a, is yeah. a singer. So I apologize. Corey Ashcraft supporting us on the last word tier. You know what the cool news is, is that if for every time you say it wrong, they get to have their name repeated a couple of times and you to have a meta conversation about That's it. Right. You're turned into content That's for a brief <laughs> moment. <laughs> True. Uh, Michael DeVries, Irvin Ruiz, Hoshi127, Drew Chapman, who are supporting us on the credit level, and all the wonderful people that you're seeing on the screen right now who have supported us during this pandemic. Yeah, so thank you so much for your support, and thanks so much to all of you for watching or listening. We'll see you next time. 
Komoda. Komoda.